0: Good morning. Well, as Pastor John said, we are in the second week of a sermon series entitled, Waging Peace. I have a really hard time saying waging. I don't know why, but I feel like uh, the minister from the Princess Bride every time I say it. Waging, (laughs) "mowage." This morning, we are looking at God's vision of shalom. Shalom, of course, being that Hebrew word for Peace. Now, the biblical concept of shalom depicts something far greater than just the mere absence of violence and war and conflict. Shalom seeks to replace and transform conflict and violence into something beautiful, like flourishing, blessing, and wholeness, and harmony. The word shalom is used in Joshua 8 to describe a perfect stone without a crack or a blemish. It can portray something that is complete and seamless like a stone wall protecting a city with no missing pieces, with no gaps. A shepherd's flock can be in a state of shalom when there is no missing sheep. Shalom is that sense in the world when everything is as it should be. When everything is right. How often does it feel like that? This is the state of creation that we find in Genesis 1 and 2. God creates the world and says it is very good. Clear skies. Clear, water, light, color, beauty, harmony, life, shalom. Everything is going so wonderful until we show up. Humans. God creates the cosmos from nothing. There is a state of shalom and possibility. And within creation, God makes humankind in his own image to reflect his nature. To care for creation. To be in relationship with him and with each other. But since our very beginning, friends... Since the first man and woman, we have rejected this world. We have rejected God's shalom and God's authority over us. It was people who shattered the shalom. One of my favorite summer activities in western Washington is picking blackberries. How many of you go picking blackberries not nearly enough of you. <laughs> Friends, blackberries are an incredible, incredible fruit. They have rich nutrients for your body, but they are perhaps perfect when they are made into a delicious pie. <laughs> Blackberry pie, that is real shalom. At my home, we have these thornless, did you hear me? Thornless blackberry bushes in our backyard. And they produce the largest, juiciest blackberries you have ever seen. Last summer, my daughter and I went into our backyard and we picked a basketful of the finest blackberries you've ever seen. And then my wife and I made them into the finest pie you had ever seen words cannot describe how excited I was to eat this perfect pie and we had finished making it we set it on the counter to cool down and we're gonna go to the store to get some vanilla ice cream because you cannot have pie <laughs> without vanilla ice cream can I get an amen But when we got home, to my great horror, as we walked into the kitchen, and there in front of us was my wife's dog. <laughs> His paws on the counter, just going to town on that pie. I screamed, I wept, I gently picked up the dog, who weighs like 120 pounds. I walked him out. I didn't throw him. I set him out. My wife confessed to me later. She's like, Dan, by that look in your eyes, I thought for sure you were going to kill the dog. I didn't. He's very much still alive. It's a classic Adam and Eve moment, right? My wife's dog. That dog destroyed something very good. Perhaps the best pie ever made. We'll never know. Now, it's a silly comparison, but the idea is true. God made something very good. In the garden, there was beauty and harmony. Adam and Eve created in the image of God. They were naked and not ashamed. Fully known in relationship with God, in relationship with each other. They were vegetarians. There was no killing, no murder, no sin. They were running around naked like a couple of elves. That made a lot more sense in my head. Been reading a lot of fantasy books lately. But everything in creation was as it should be, right? This was God's intention. Shalom. And then what happened? That crafty and sinister serpent shows up and he tempts Adam and Eve, right? You know that tree with the fruit that God said don't eat or else you're going to die? That's not true. You will not die. You shall become like God. And that is the temptation. Power. Don't act like you don't want Power, friends, every single one of us likes it our own way. Pride, control, power. The same temptation we all experience, you shall become like God. We all want it. And that story reverberates throughout creation from generation to generation. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the wickedness of Noah's generation, so on and so forth. All of Scripture teaches us how this shalom is broken. We reject God. Pride. Control. Power. But of course, pride turns into disappointment because once we're in control, things don't go so very well, do they? (laughs) And then that disappointment turns into bitterness. And the bitterness turns into anger and the anger turns into fear. But it always starts with pride. You shall be like God. We're born proud. We're born wanting that control. I've begun to learn this as a parent. My two-year-old thinks she knows better than I do. She wants the control. She wants the power. Heck, my one-year-old thinks she knows better than me. I go to change her diaper and she says, no. No. Not with words, but she screams, she kicks, she fights, and I'm trying to help her. But she says, nope. I want it my way. I don't want that right now. Are we really any different? How often has God tried us to teach us something, and we kick and scream and fight? Every act of disobedience stems from a fundamental belief that we think we know better. Our desire for control and power, but it only leads to broken shalom. In the book, Mending the Divides, John Huckins puts it this way, Whenever we seek power, we prioritize ourselves over others. And every time this happens, conflict results, end quote. And as we witness the wake of destruction that is behind us, the shame, the bitterness, the fear, all of this antithesis of shalom, we live in a world that kicks and screams and fights, rejecting God's peace. Just turn on the news. Go on social media. In the last few days alone, we have watched millions of people flee their homes from this latest hurricane. Fire, war, famine, domestic violence, racism, sexism, oppression, disease. There's broken shalom in our schools, our businesses, our homes, in our very bodies. In our hearts. So many of us live in a constant state of anxiety or fear. Countless people are depressed or feel hopeless or angry. And yet we persist in rejecting God's shalom. All the while, God persists in pursuing us. Is that not the story of scripture. God makes a covenant with Noah. And then God makes another covenant with Abraham. And then God makes another covenant with David. And then God makes another covenant with the people of Israel. And then God makes the complete and final and total covenant in Jesus Christ with his blood. And what is a covenant? It is a partnership where God says, I invite you you to be my partner as we work and create the shalom that was my original vision, that was my dream. Will you work with me? Let us make a covenant together. God is not content to leave us in a state of chaos and destruction. He could, but he does not. For his very nature is shalom. As Pastor John said last week, shalom is one of the very names that we give God. We may reject God, but he is continually trying to make peace with us, to make shalom. In the Old Testament, when rival kingdoms would make a shalom, they wouldn't just stop fighting, which they would, but they would also begin working together for each other's benefit. Shalom turned into a partnership. That's what God desires from us that we stop fighting God, that we stop rejecting God and start working with God, and we move from dissonance to harmony. Paul puts it this way, you were once at odds with God, enemies fighting God, but we have been brought together through Jesus Christ. We are now partners with Jesus in making peace in this world. Jesus brings us to God by showing us, hey, I love you guys. This is my vision for what humanity is supposed to be. This is my vision for shalom. This is my vision for love. And if shalom is broken by our disobedience and our pride, then friends, it is restored in our humility before Christ our King. We must humble ourselves and accept God's wisdom and authority. That's pretty hard for us, though, sometimes, isn't it? It goes back to that original temptation. We like the control. We like the power. As I look at the own brokenness in my own life, moments of failure times when I disappoint or hurt others by what I say or what I do, times where I hurt myself, if I'm honest, if I'm looking at those moments in my life, some point along the way, I rejected Christ. Either in a small way or in some monumental way. I rejected Christ and I put myself before God. I put myself before my wife. I put myself before my kids. I put myself before my coworkers or my congregants. And the shalom is shattered. Of course, there will always be some degree of failure, friends. Even the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, I do not understand my own actions. For what I want to do, I do not do. And the things that I hate, that's the stuff I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Failure is a part of the journey. It is. But so is grace. So is learning, and so is growth as God tries to show us the importance of the shalom. And every time we fail, God is right there in his grace and in his love, helping us put the pieces back together, restoring shalom. Paul goes on to say in Romans 7, Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, He rescues, He restores, He heals. We we are to be humble, to listen, to have faith. In those moments of tension, in those moments of conflict, those are the moments where we have to find a way in humility and submission to find Christ as our partner in making shalom. One of the things I love about Randy Finson, who's in charge of our personnel committee here at church, Randy, who has worked in corrections, this man has managed entire jail facilities, He's been in hard situations. He's had very tense, complicated meetings. Randy has told me on more than one occasion, Dan, every time I go into a meeting, anytime I have an encounter with someone, I am always praying to Christ for help. If you ever had a meeting with Randy, you can feel the wisdom and the humility in this man. He could be getting coffee with someone. He could be in a tough spot of having to let someone go. But he's there praying to God before, praying to God throughout. Friends, that is wisdom and humility. Seeking Christ to be our partner through it all. We often talk about being a church that lives on mission, being a missional church. But what is the mission of God? You ever asked that question? The mission of God is restoring shalom, God's peace, making peace between humanity and God, making peace between human and human, husband and wife, parent and child, co worker and boss church member and church member. Shalom is the mission of God. And that is the direction that God is pushing and moving creation. In the book of Revelation, we get a glimpse of God's promised future when we see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and God living amongst mortals. Revelation 21 tells us that God will wipe away all tears. There will be no more crying. There will be no more grieving. There will be no more pain. And there will be no more death. For the old things have passed away. And behold, the one sitting on the throne says, See? I am making all things new. That is where we're going. That's how it started, and that is how it will end. Our mission today is to show the world this future reality by being peacemakers here and now, by partnering with Jesus Christ. We look at the state of our world today. We want to do something about it. You see the chaos, the division, the hurt, the pain. It's overwhelming. You want to do something about it. You see the pain in the state of our town. And you want to do something about it. You see what's going on in your own Household, and you want to do something about it. But hear me when I say this, friends. It begins in here, in your very heart. Colossians 3 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You want to be a peacemaker in this world. You want to live out and fulfill your missional identity as a disciple of Jesus. Well, we cannot do so apart from the Prince of Peace. It begins here, every time, every day, every moment, with you and Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, we are so grateful that you have made peace with us again and again. Eternal peace made possible by Jesus Christ. You have made a way for us to have shalom with you. And you give us the resources, the wisdom, and the power to make peace with our neighbors, to make peace with our enemies. And so, God, we come to you in humility, asking once again for your grace and forgiveness. Asking once again that you would teach us and mold us becoming peacemakers in this world. Lord, give us that desire each and every day, each and every moment, with each and every encounter. We pray this in the powerful resurrected name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.